country, if you're not part of it, you need to just come just for the, just for the laughs, okay? Because we're having so much fun with those kids, and we're having such neat opportunities to share Christ with kids who many of them have never seen a Bible. They've never read John 3.16. They've never heard the gospel explained. And you get to, and we have stories every week of kids that we get to sit down with and say, you understand what this means? No. And to see their eyes light up when they understand for the first time that God loves them and sent his son to pay for their sin and carry them to heaven. And that is a tremendous privilege. I don't know where you get to do that outside of Africa or someplace remote where you get to be the first person to tell somebody the gospel this is an incredible thing that 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 all of you are doing and we just praise god for it and it's it's exciting and it's fun and to give up hair for the sake of the gospel hey no problem right um why not if timothy can get circumcised i can get shaved right (laughs) Uh, um we're in, uh, welcome to Chillicothe Bible Church. If this is your first week, I don't normally look like this, as you can tell. I hope that is the last time in- images of my head that size appear on the screen. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't need a jumbotron version of that. Um, but we are in the book of Ruth. Uh, we are looking at how God provides for his people, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And it's a book, I think, that shows us a glimpse of how God normally works in the lives of his people, that he is guiding and shaping circumstances according to his will. Most often, you know, we, you think of, when you think of the Bible, a lot of times you think of all the dramatic instances where God dramatically and miraculously intervened. But most of the time, that's not how God works even though sometimes that's how we would like. You know, we pray like Isaiah in Isaiah 64, O Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, and we want God to jump into our life in a way that's undeniable and, and miraculous and fixes everything in our favor permanently, Right? But most of the time in our walk with God, in our relationship with him, we don't get that. We don't get God coming down out of heaven on a white horse to smite our enemies and rescue us. Even though that would be nice. And one day that will happen, by the way. Remember? John says, I looked and behold, I saw a rider on a white horse. And him who sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sword, and he has a name tattooed on his leg, known but to him alone. Right? One day that will happen. But between now and then, a lot of times we go, well, where is God in my circumstances? And, and we, we have, a lot of times, too much to deny, but too little to be completely sure that God is at work. And Ruth is about... Seeing God in the ordinary circumstances of life and knowing that in a way that's not quite provable but is nonetheless real, that God is at work. And so we want to look at Ruth chapter 2 this week and see how God is working because you do have to have eyes to see what God is doing. 
All right, Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let's, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And just then, Elimelech, I mean, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. And Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? And the foreman replied, She's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told, you, told the men not to touch you and who... Whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her mother-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now chapter 2 uh, begins with kind of an introductory note on Boaz and who he is, gives us some background information on him that's vital to the rest of the story. Uh, the author wants to introduce a new character here, and he wants us to know who this person is in advance. 
Uh, and Ruth, and, and what's interesting is the, na- the name of the fellow is held until the very end. So you get all the description. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, and then his name was Boaz. And Ruth, when she tells Naomi about him, she says, the name of the man that I worked for today was Boaz. And it's kind of a way that the author is using to build kind of some drama and some some build-up to this, this sort of... Uh, uh, not really provable, but kind of miraculous thing that happens. Because there's a lot of people living in Bethlehem, and only a few of them that are relatives of Naomi's uh, deceased husband. And Ruth just happens to wind up working in his field. She goes to some random field and shows up, and it just happens to be the one that's a relative's field. And the author of Ruth reports a number of details like that that are meant to be uh, seen as not just simple coincidence. Uh, If you look at the way he introduces Boaz, and then you look in verse 1, you know, Naomi just happened to have this relative on her husband's side when there were probably literally hundreds of landowners in the area around Bethlehem. She just happened to have this one who was close. And then on top of that, uh, you see this. Uh, Ruth decides to go to the, to the fields. And it says in verse 3 there, as it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz. In other words, it just happened to happen. And then uh, as she's working there, Boaz just happened to show up. And commentators on this passage say that this is, this is a literary device known as ironic hyperbole, which if you're not an English major, what that means is, is that the way that the author is presenting these facts as being kind of coincidental is meant to underline the fact that they're not just coincidence. And in fact, that nothing happens by accident in the view in the view of the author of Ruth that these are these things seem accidental but they're not accidental that these are these are facts that God has orchestrated and so he says things like well just then well and as it turned out now this they happen to have a relative on the, on her husband's side and they happened she, Ruth just happens to wind up in his field Instead of somebody else among all the hundreds of people that live in this area, she just happens to wind up in this one. And he just happens to be kind to her (laughs) and all this kind of thing, right? Nothing happens by accident. Was it a surprise to God that Ruth and Naomi were going to be coming home? Just happened to be the time that the barley harvest was beginning? Was it a surprise to God that the women needed food? since they didn't have anybody providing for them? No. Did, he real, did God realize that they had a wealthy relative who could take care of them? Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. Did God know that all of these details needed to work themselves out? Yes. He not only knew, I, I think it's the viewpoint 
presented in Ruth, that he not only knew, he orchestrated all these facts specifically so that on the first day that Ruth goes out, she winds up in the field of this relative, even though she doesn't know that this per- who this person is. It's not like Naomi has told her, now here's a list of relatives, go ask around and find out which, ones, uh, which fields those are and go work in one of those, maybe one of our relatives will have pity on us. No, Ruth says, in fact, Ruth takes the initiative. Naomi is still in her uh, Mara mood, okay, where she's going to be bitter. And in the meantime, there's nothing to eat. And so Ruth says, well, I tell you what, let me go get us some food. At least we'll have something to eat while you're moping around. Um, and she goes out and and gathers some food, and she just happens to show up in the right place. It wasn't, wasn't an accident. Nothing happens by accident. This isn't a coincidence. God had orchestrated and planned for her to be there. <clears throat> and the other thing I want us to be sure not to miss in these first few verses is that God blesses those who love him, even though it might not be immediately obvious. It might not be immediately obvious. God is always working to provide for and demonstrate love to people that, he, that love him and that he loves. And he's working not necessarily overtly all the time, but behind the scenes in the little details of life. That as, as these ladies come back, God already has a plan for how they're going to be provided for. And it just works itself out. Well, how did that happen? Well, God had his hand in that. He blesses and provides for those who love him, even though it might not be immediately obvious. You have to have eyes to see this happen. And to recognize God's hand, even though he hasn't ripped open the heavens and said, Ruth, go to Boaz's field. He's guided her and put her there. Even though she doesn't know any of these details, God has worked it out and provided. He's blessing and on top of that, notice this. Look how she's almost always referred to when she's being introduced. It's Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. She's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. When she, says to, when she meets Boaz face to face and she, says, she asks him a question, why do you take notice of me? Because I'm a what? Foreigner. If you were a foreigner, you were low man on the totem pole. It went family, and then clan, and then after that, it was widows and orphans of your tribe, and then widows and orphans of Israel, and then foreigner after slave girl. (laughs) Okay? She was the lowest of the low in terms of social ranking. And she's amazed that this man is willing to provide for her. But it's really God who is providing for her. He's using Boaz to make that happen. But she has, she has no social standing. She has very few legal rights. And she has no reason to hope and trust God in, in her situation. And yet she does. And God blesses and provides for her. Even though she's a foreigner. Why? Because God loves her, and she loves him. And God provides for her in ways that she could not have foreseen or expected, but he still provides. 
and he blesses those who love him. Now, in about verse 5, uh, Ruth and Boaz finally um, connect. Uh, Boaz shows up again at just the right time to see this young woman. And she's probably, if you read between the lines a little bit of the story, she's probably leaving. Based on the instructions that he had given his young men, he says, I've told the young men not to touch you, told them uh, that you can work behind them where they're harvesting. I've told them to, that you can get a drink from the water that they draw. And by the way, women in those days drew water, men drank it. Okay, So he's told the, the men, no, you're going to draw the water and she's going to drink. Now, that's a reversal of social uh, expectations. Um, and I think what's happened is she went to go get a drink of water because she was thirsty. And some of these men that work for Boaz have started harassing her. And they feel they can get away with it. Again, this is not explicitly stated, but I'm kind of reading between the lines here on the story. They start harassing her and feel they can get away with it because she's a foreigner. And I think some of them try to take advantage of her. And because she's a woman of character, she's leaving. And Boaz sees her leaving and is going, Who's, whose woman is that? And he finds out. And instead of saying, well, just a foreigner, eh, forget about her, you know. He says, no, let's go find out about this lady. Um, in those days, the way the harvest worked is that the men would take these big, I don't know if you've ever seen old farm equipment, they'd take one of those big scythes, you know, big wooden thing with the, with the blade on it, and they would swing it and cut the grain, and then the women would come along behind and bind all the cut grain up into sheaves, these little grain bundles. And then they would take the grain from there to the threshing floor and, and beat the heads of grain, uh, or they'd have it uh, have a wheel that would turn, that would separate it, uh, pulled by an ox. And she is um, walking along behind the girls who are binding up the grain. And according to the Mosaic Law, you were supposed to, if you, for, if you missed some along the edges of your field or you didn't get it all cut or, it didn't, or some of it got dropped as you were carrying it, you were supposed to leave whatever you dropped or the edges or other places that you hadn't gotten cut. You just left it. Uh, at least that was the law. But this is in the time period of the judges, so it's highly likely this law is not being followed by very many people. But Boaz notices this woman, and he knows that she is sort of a shirt-tail relation of his, and he takes notice of her, and he gives her all the privileges as if she were family. He says, you can walk along just like you were one of my servant girls and bind up grain that the men have cut. In fact, he tells the men to leave some out for her to pick up. And then later, during the mealtime, he has her not sit off to the side, but come up to the head table next to him and gives, him, gives her some of the, uh, it's the bread with wine vinegar. I don't know what, what the significance of that is necessarily, but it's, a, it's, it's food that they had at the head table. It wasn't where the poor people and people who of no account were, were sitting. She's eating like a member of the family. 
He gives her some roasted grain to eat. He gives the men special instructions about her. He says, you don't molest this woman. And you take care of her. And you draw water for her. She's not going to draw water for you. And he takes care of her. And both Ruth and Boaz demonstrate, I think, in this story, incredible character. Very noteworthy character, as a matter of fact, given the time period in which this story takes place. Remember the period of the judges. If you want to read some stories that you did not learn in Sunday school, a bunch of them are in Judges about the decline of Israel and how, this, how the nation has gone from following hard after God to following other kinds of gods to doing whatever they wanted. And it says the summary of the book of Judges is this. In those days there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, what if everybody did what was right in their own eyes? Well, that's a disaster. And Ruth and Boaz are, have clear character and integrity they have incredible character boaz has no legal or social obligation to take care of her and yet he treats her not just like a servant but like a member of the family ruth is someone who has a high sense of personal honor and she is being she is going to find out a way figure out a way to protect herself in the midst of a tough situation I mean, it's not for no reason that Boaz tells her, as an example, don't go away from here. In somebody else's field, you might be harmed. Now, you can fill in the blank on what that might mean in this kind of a context. He says, don't go away from here. This is a dangerous time. And she is concerned about how she is perceived, how she is treated. And he is concerned about how she is being treated. And they demonstrate incredible character. On top of that, the other thing I want you to see in these verses here, verse 5 to 17, is that God provides for others through the actions of his people. A lot of times, you know, we, we talk about God's provision. Um, and we talk about it as if it's God who gives it directly sometimes, you know, somehow. But usually, and that sometimes happens, you know. I mean, if you read about Israel in the wilderness, who provided the bread from heaven? Well, God did, directly. Who, who caused the Red Sea crossing to happen? Well, God did, directly. Who sent the fire down from heaven with Elijah? God did. Who provided the fish that swallowed Jonah? God did. Who provided the plant that grew up over him to give him shade? Who, God did. Who provided the worm? that cut down the plant that Jonah griped about. <laughs> God did. <laughs> okay. Sometimes God's provision comes directly like that, where you can put his fingerprints all over it. But very often, God's hand works through other people, through his people being called to do the right thing and them obeying. And this is how God is working here, that his, he provides for others through the actions of his people. Uh, Boaz is a spiritual man in an unspiritual time. Uh, and, and Ruth is coming from Moab out of paganism. And she is turning from paganism to the worship of the true God. And that's a miraculous thing. But Boaz is providing for his mother-in-law and this young widow going really beyond 
the requirements of the law. Because just the requirements of the law were you had to leave some grain in the field for poor people to pick up. But he's not just doing that. He's treating this lady like family. And giving her all the rights and privileges of family. And I want us to, to see this because I want us to see that a lot of times God doesn't just multiply our loaves and fish in a miracle but that God uses you and I to meet other people's needs, both physical as well as spiritual. That when you're in crisis and somebody from church or somebody else in the body of Christ comes alongside you and helps, that it's God providing care for you through them. And you don't have to ask, well, where was God in this situation? Well, he was right there in your circle of friends hugging on you and praying for you and bringing you food and meeting with you and saying, you know, we love you. We're going to get through this together. God was right there. But a lot of times he normally chooses to work and provide for his people through his other children. Um, this book ends on kind of an interesting note. Uh, because as if you have eyes to see it, God's means for provision for Ruth and Naomi is starting to become obvious. They've met the wealthy relative. Uh, they've gotten enough food. In fact, if she continues to collect grain at the rate she is collecting grain, where she wound up with about an ephah, an ephah is about 10 days supply. The barley and wheat harvest lasts about two and a half months solid. So if she continues to pick up grain at that rate, by the end of the harvest, she will have enough for over a year's worth of food. But look at how the book ends. You know, Naomi says, well, this, this is great. You know, we've got this relative. He's close relative. He's wealthy. He's close enough that he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. But the book ends... And she lived with her mother-in-law, and she worked all the way through the barley and the wheat harvest. I mean, the first day was great, right? But she's just still working. No miraculous thing has happened. God hasn't come to Boaz in a vision and said, you're to marry Ruth. That didn't happen, okay? There's just ordinary life that's going on. Ruth is continuing to work in his fields. She's continuing to collect grain, and, and God is providing for their needs, but there's been no deliverer. Even though this guy qualifies to be the deliverer, he hasn't done anything. And Ruth and Naomi are waiting for their redeemer, the kinsman redeemer who could come and buy back the family property and marry Ruth and restore the family line, which was part of the custom in Israel that that there would that if your husband died, that your nearest male relative on your husband's side would marry you. Usually it was a brother, but it could be also an uncle or even a father, as weird as that seems, um, could marry you and provide for you and raise up a child for your deceased husband's family line and his name to carry on. Because it was regarded as a tragedy in Israel for the for the your your for a family name to die out. And so there was great emphasis placed on 
We've got it on the continuity of the family line and the family name. And Ruth and Naomi are hoping that this will happen, not just for the continuation of that family name and family line, but also because, frankly, um, they need something other than just food. They need a roof over their head. They need someone to provide for them. They need money to be able to buy clothes. They need, there's no, uh, this is the social welfare system in Israel at this time. You get to go pick up grain out of the farmer's field. And they're waiting for their redeemer. uh, For the person who will come in and who will restore everything and make everything right. And he hasn't come by the end of this chapter even though they know who he probably is going to be. He hasn't done anything yet other than just provide for their physical needs. And so the plot's starting to turn here a little bit. Boaz is a close enough relative to function as the kinsman redeemer, but he hasn't done anything to carry out those responsibilities. And after his initial kindness to Ruth, nothing happens for two and a half months except her continuing to go every day and work. And all that has happened, really, in terms of God's blessing and provision, is that they're not in danger of starving at this point, which is a good thing. You know, thank God for small blessings. You're not going to starve this year. But they're still waiting for their Redeemer. And that leads me to my last point, which is this, that God provides in His time. In His time. Boaz knew who Ruth was. He knew that he was a close enough relative to have these responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer. Um, Ruth knew the same thing about Boaz. Boaz is wealthy and powerful. Ruth is still a poor, foreign, Moabite widow. And God has provided for the immediate need, but the long-term solution hasn't happened. At least not yet. And next week, we'll start to see the beginning of a longer-term solution for Ruth and Naomi's situation that they're in. But remember that it happens not when Ruth and Naomi think it's going to happen or should happen or would it be a good idea if it happened, but when God has determined. And in his time, according to God's plan and his timing, that's when the solution comes. And so as we close, I'd like to leave you with a few points by way of personal challenge here. First of all, remember that God is ultimately in control and blesses those who love him. God is ultimately in control. Uh, times are tough these days. They, they really are. Uh, this is the toughest economy since 1983 at least. And things may get tougher. Um, we don't know. And certainly we know that the people in Washington are not in control, that the people in London are not in control, the people in whatever financial capital of the world you want to talk about aren't in control. God is ultimately in control. And he blesses those who love him. Uh, A whole bunch of us, you know, as you look around, have had various incarnations of the creeping crud this winter. God is still in control. Whether it's swine flu or whether it's uh, some other nasty virus, 
or whether it is uh, a cold or whatever it is. God is ultimately in control. When people get sick, when people die, God who's in control. And he is blessing those who love him. He is still sovereign. He still loves us. And so we still need to trust him in the midst of our circumstances. And the problem that we have with trusting him is not with God. It's with our eyes that we can't see what he's doing to work and provide and bless. But God is ultimately in control. We just need eyes to see it. Second thing is this, is that your faith is confirmed by your deeds. You just thought that was in James. But it's right here, too, in Ruth. Uh, What do we know about Boaz? Well, obviously, he's a man of faith. Uh, he He doesn't just talk about the Lord, remember? When he says, the Lord bless you, may the Lord repay you for what you're doing. I mean, he can talk a good game about the Lord, right? He's a spiritual man in an unspiritual time. But his, his talk is backed up by his walk, by the way he lives, by the way he treats people. He's concerned about protecting even this foreign woman. He is not only protecting her, but he's providing for her. His faith is backed up by his deeds. And our faith ought to be backed up by our deeds, too. It's good to talk about the Lord to people we know. It's also important to not just talk, but to live it out and to meet people's needs at their point where they are. Uh, Last thing here, remember to wait for your Redeemer and His timing. This story is a picture uh, of the the coming of the kinsman redeemer who is going to make everything right for this family. But what this story is in miniature, God is for us in in the macro sense. That the ultimate kinsman redeemer who comes to get his bride is still coming. But it's according to his timing. And maybe you need redemption from a particular set of circumstances that you are now in. And you go, man, uh, my life has taken a turn for the worse in a huge way this year. Uh, I'm sick. I've lost a relative. I've lost family. I've got family with cancer. I've got whatever. Go through the list. And... A lot of times you have to wait for God and his timing. But whether his timing pans out on this issue or not, we know this. that One day the Redeemer is coming. The ultimate Redeemer is going to marry us and carry us home. Where according to the book of Revelation, there is no more mourning or sadness or pain or death the old order of things has passed away right and in the meantime whether it's an immediate situation or a much longer term we we think situation the redeemer is coming and we need to wait for him and wait for his timing 
You know, sometimes we tend to pray, God, grant me patience in this situation and hurry up. <laughs> right? <laughs> God works according to his timing. And he works behind the scenes a lot of times in ways that we can't always recognize or don't always recognize, at least. But he's still working. He's still sovereign. He's still ruling. He's still providing. still loves you. And so we still need to trust and wait for him to come. Because he's coming one way or the other, right? Either for you in this situation now or ultimately for you later. He's coming. So you need to trust and wait. Knowing that God has a plan and a purpose and cares for you deeply. And either he'll work it out in a way that maybe you don't see all of the ways in which he's provided. Or maybe he'll work it out in a miraculous way and he will answer Isaiah's prayer and rend the heavens and come down and the mountains will tremble before him. But either way, you've got to trust God that he's providing and loves you and has a plan. Let's pray.